Hello. Hey. This, I'm, hey. <laughs> this is, um, we're, she is distraught. We just finished recording last Tuesday's episode. So you've already heard it if you're listening as things come out. Yep. So it's the one about Mary Toth and the rabbits. And I still can't process it. <laughs> Unsee that. I still have so many problems. <laughs> it's really struggling. I guess we should have taken a longer break after recording. Because holy crap. <laughs> This is the Witch's Magic Murder and Mystery Podcast. I'm Kara. And I'm Megan. There's no rabbits here. Absolutely. Not ever. <laughs> and I I already don't care for rabbits. I've had a couple as pets. They just don't live very long. I think they're sweet. I mean, like, rabbits as decorations. Oh, so this yeah, time of no. year where everybody's decorating for Easter, oh, like, no. I don't like it. But um, now that's all I'm going to think about. I really do have a story to tell you guys. This one's not funny. At all. What I have for you is a murder story. Mm. Completely different genre than... What are... I don't know what... Mary Toth and the Rabbit. Mystery is what she's going under. The best part is after we finish recording, Kara goes, I don't even think I was researching anything for the podcast when I found that story. (laughs) My FBI keeper or whoever keeps my search history is probably like, like, what? (laughs) What does she read about right now? (laughs) Why is she still scrolling? (laughs) Okay. All right. (laughs) Now, yeah. my story. On to this. This one is an older case that happened back in the 90s, but um, there have been some recent developments, which is why I thought it would be Ooh. interesting to talk about yes. today. All right. In June of 1990, 27-year-old Lisa McBride. Uh-huh. It's fine. Everything's fine. We're very professional. ASMR podcast. <laughs> the sounds of our ASMR podcast would not be normal. No, it's like stomach sounds. growling. Yeah. And us hitting things or shifting our chairs. It's just like we evan- laughing. <laughs> Evangeline opening doors, taking sips of our beverages. <sighs> okay. In June of 1990, 27-year-old Lisa McBride went with three of her friends to a country music concert at Beacon Theater in Manhattan. Oh. Lisa was five foot seven, 135 pounds. And when she went out that night, she was wearing so blue she jeans. Was me at 27. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She was wearing blue jeans and a white shirt with the like a shoelace type black tie. Oh, yeah. Uh, in the back, which sounds cool. Yeah. Especially in the 90s. Right. It's something I feel like I would like right now. Yeah. Um, she lived in Vernon, New Jersey. And when she and her friends were on their way back home, they stopped at a place called Big John's Pub Move. in West Milford. So they got to the pub mm-hmm. around 1230 a.m. Okay. Now, at Big John's, Lisa reportedly had three bottles of beer and talked to several people. And it also said that she ran into three old friends and she gave her number to them. At around 1.15 in the morning, she was like, I got to go home. I got to work tomorrow. She was an executive secretary at Lakeland State Bank in mm-hmm. Newfoundland, New Jersey. Look at her. I know. So she lived in the Highland Lakes area of Vernon. Okay. And her neighbors said that they saw her get home around 2 a.m. Which okay. I was like, why are they at 2 a.m.? Your neighbors are watching you get home. Yeah, that's creepy. It just reminded me of um, Tara Grinstead, you know, who they were like, oh we gosh. know, we knew when she ca- yeah. got home and when she left, it's like, Good her Lord. yard looked exactly like this <laughs> and it always had this in it. But they said that they saw Lisa get home and go into her house. So it's not like they just heard her car and were like, oh, Lisa's home. Yeah. They like watched apparently her watched inside. her walk from her car into her house. Oh. So we know she at least got there, I guess. And was alone. know she got there. So she lived alone, mm-hmm. and 
Like I said, they watched her drive up, get out of her car, walk in her home, and they didn't see anybody else with her. Okay. This was on June 23rd, 1990. So Lisa didn't show up for work the next day. And her coworkers started calling her at about 7.30 in the morning uh, since she wasn't there, but there was no response. After multiple calls went unanswered, they called her brother, Douglas. So at around 10 o'clock in the morning, he headed over to his sister's house to check on her. And her car was in the driveway, but she didn't answer the door. She kept a spare key under the steps, and he knew that. So he, like, got in there, grabbed the key, let himself in. And he's, like, calling out her name as he opened the door and went into the house. But there was no response. So he does what anybody would do. He, like, goes from room to room. He's calling her name. He's looking around. And the house is empty. But as he's going from room to room, he's taking note of a few things. Um, The couch in the living room was pulled away from the wall about six inches. The light in the kitchen was on. The light on her dresser in her bedroom was on. And there were no sheets or blankets on the bed. Oh, yeah. Her brother at that point called the police. Right. Now, when the police got there, they discovered some more sinister details. Oh, no. The phone line to the house had been cut. Oh, God. I know. And a window screen to the home had two slits cut into it, Mm. creating an opening to where someone could reach in and gain access to the house. I'm assuming that means a screen door or something or like a back door. Mm Mm-hmm. The search for Lisa began right away, which is nice. Like, they didn't have to right. wait any yeah. kind of waiting period. They can tell, obviously, that something's Something happened. happened. There's foul play. So they start looking right away, but nothing turns up. She had this black leather purse with a keychain that was engraved with Weeza, her nickname. Oh. And those were also missing. Two weeks later, the FBI set up a trailer with a task force of 17 people dedicated to her case. Mm-hmm. Lisa's family and community came together to spread the word and coordinate searches. She was a member of the National Rifle Association, and about 100 NRA members were at the back entrance of Waiwayanda mm-hmm. State Park on October 21st, 1990. So this is several months later, right? She disappeared right. in June. This is October 21st. They're, they're about to do a search of this park. They're about to begin a shoulder-to-shoulder search of the park's wooded area when an announcement came out over the bullhorn that Lisa's body had been found. Oh. So um, one of the articles I read had a guy, he was like, yeah, we were like literally just about to go. And oh. then, then her body was found. Oh. So a hunter had discovered her naked decomposed body at around 930 in the morning off Old Mine Road in Sandyston, New Jersey, four months after she disappeared. Oh, my gosh. Lisa's remains were almost completely skeletonized indicating that she had been killed soon after she disappeared. And the condition of her body also indicated that whoever had murdered her had left her body in that location not long after she died. Oh, gosh. So it seems like she had been there for for almost the whole time. One article I read said that Lisa's cause of death had never been made public, but a more recent article said that her left cheekbone was fractured and her death may have been caused by blunt force trauma. Yeah, so I'm not sure if the first article was just written at a point when they weren't releasing that information right. or if the second article is more speculation mm-hmm. based on the autopsy results. So yeah. I'm not entirely sure which I think it's just, there's no like official cause of death right. probably because her remains were so decomposed yeah. at that point. It's hard to say. Yeah. Cause you know, she could have died of strangulation exactly, and still had blunt force trauma. Yeah. It's hard to say yeah, what yeah, killer. Yeah. her killer has never been found. More than 400 people were interviewed and 850 leads were followed oh my gosh. in the first year after she vanished. 
Also in that first year, Lisa's family and friends distributed over 70,000 reward posters throughout Mm. the country and into Canada. Oh, wow. Police have investigated a number of people, but never named an official suspect or arrested anyone in relation to the case. I know. That's always incredible to me when they just don't even have like a suspect. Yeah. Detectives say that nothing they found leads them to believe that more than one person was involved in her death. Hmm. She did have a secret admirer. Oh, that makes me nervous. Yeah. There was a man who had wanted to date her, and he had left her flowers and notes. Ooh. Police visited him in 1992, so it was a couple years after she died. And he admitted he'd been an admirer, but he said he didn't hurt her. And detectives confirmed that he had been out west when Lisa was murdered. Okay. And his name was never publicly released, so I won't say it either. This case is called cold because of how long ago it happened, Mm -hmm. but police say they're still actively working on it. Okay. Paperwork related to Lisa's case takes up at least two filing cabinets um, at the county prosecutor's office. Because of all the tips and stuff. Yes. And investigators continue to follow up leads. An article I read from 2010 said that her mother was pleasantly surprised that Lisa's case was still active back then in 2010. She said for a long time they just didn't hear anything about it. And the lead detective on the case says he gets a handful of calls about it every year. I know. Now, in that same article, her dad talked about how, I thought this was the sweetest thing. He was like, I really hate that Lisa's killer has never been identified, but we're so appreciative of how hard Mm. everyone has worked and is working to find the killer. Oh. I mean, he was just so like, my wife and I are, you know. Thanks, guys, for helping. Yeah, we we know you're working on it. Oh, not do better. (laughs) And then the mom said, we don't feel it's going to be solved after all these years, but you never know. And then her dad passed away in 2015. Oh, gosh. That same year, one of the detectives on the case wrote a letter to the editor of the local newspaper, and here's what it said. Okay. So this was 2015. So Mm -hmm. it's what, 25 years later? I think it even says in this. Right. Helps. Yeah. Something. Math. Yes. Numbers. Uh, Dear editor. On Saturday, blah, blah, blah. oh look, it was on a Saturday that she disappeared, but she had to be at the bank the next morning. Weird. On Saturday, June twenty third, nineteen ninety, a vivacious and popular twenty seven year old woman named Lisa Marie McBride mysteriously disappeared from her small home in Highland Lakes, Vernon, in the middle of the night. Her disappearance was reported to the Vernon Police, and a massive law enforcement investigation ensued involving the Vernon Police, surrounding police departments the Sussex County Prosecutor's Office, State Police, and the FBI. So they went all out right away. Yeah, everybody was notified. Thousands of leads were followed and hundreds of people were interviewed. Four months later, on October 23, 1990, skeletal remains were discovered by a hunter in Sandiston along the Old Mine Road. These remains were eventually positively identified as being Lisa. The investigation continued, now as a homicide investigation, and officers remained vigilant on the case for several years. But the disappearance and death of Lisa Marie McBride remains unsolved. Last week marked the 25th anniversary. 25 years. I got that math problem right. It's you. I know. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Last week marked the 25th anniversary of Lisa's disappearance and death. As a detective involved in the case from the beginning, I wrote this letter to remind the public that members of law enforcement have not given up on this case, which I think is just the nicest Mm -hmm. thing to do. Yeah. You know? I don't hear of this kind of thing happening. Right. Ever? Yeah, no. <laughs> Maybe it happens more often, I think, but I've never heard about, like, this detective wrote a letter to the editor just well, to be like, okay. hey, we're still working on yeah. this. Yeah. So he goes on and he says, unfortunately, Lisa's father, George McBride, recently passed away without ever knowing the truth behind what happened to his daughter. 
Lisa's mother and her remaining family members deserved closure to their 25-year uh, mystery and pain. How I know. Sweet. There is someone who holds the key to this puzzle. Someone saw or heard something. The person or persons involved have probably not kept the secret to themselves throughout the years. Which is a good point. Exactly. How do you keep a secret for so long? Yeah. Please help bring an end to this truly sad case. And then he gave the information to contact if anyone had any information to share. And I'm going to give the most current contact information at the end of this episode just in case. Oh, cool. Lisa's mom passed away three years later in 2018, also never knowing what happened. Mm -hmm. Today, the majority of the officers who worked on Lisa's case at the time of her disappearance have either retired or switched professions. When the COVID-19 pandemic began and courts slowed down, mm-hmm. First Assistant Prosecutor Gregory Mueller said his office's cold case unit, which is made up of prosecutors, detectives, mm-hmm. and the chief of detectives, started putting a lot of emphasis on the county's six cold cases. Oh, they had six. I know. I feel like that's a lot, but not a lot. I, I feel like it's a small town type oh, yeah. area. Um, could be wrong. I'm basically just getting that from just the vibe guessing. I got from reading the article. When they took a deeper look into Lisa's case, they decided they needed to try and get more evidence, so they asked to exhume her body. (laughs) On March 9th of this year, so just a few weeks ago, investigators with the prosecutor's office, New Jersey State Police, and Vernon Township Police exhumed Lisa's remains from Restland Memorial Park. Her remains were taken to a funeral home in (laughs) Parsippany. That's adorable. Then to the Morris Sussex Medical Examiner's Office, where the medical examiner and a state police anthropologist performed an examination and collected relevant evidence, including DNA. This DNA and other evidence were sent to Bode. Okay, it's B-O-D-E. It's either Bode Technology or Bode Technology. Mm -hmm. A forensic laboratory in Lorton, Virginia, the following day, and then Lisa's body was laid back to rest. Mm -hmm. So I took a look at this forensic technology places website. Bode or Bodie. Mm-hmm. And here's a little info on that, which is going to sound like a commercial, but it's not. Not, not an ad. Yeah. <laughs> you guys want to sponsor us? It'd be great. How about it? Bodie Technology has been serving the law enforcement and identification markets for over 25 years and has state-of-the-art human DNA analysis and innovative DNA collection products. They're one of the most internationally respected private DNA laboratories and have assisted in identifying criminals in every single state in the United States. Yeah. As well as victims of war, terrorism, oh, wow. crime, and natural disasters. Oh, wow. Including the 2001 World Trade Center oh, attack. My gosh. And the remains of U.S. soldiers dating back to the Vietnam War. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So all that to say, they I feel really hopeful doing. about yeah. this. Yeah. So Lisa's body was naked when her remains were found. And it could be due to the amount of time she was left outside. But it could also imply some sort of sexual assault. Right. Which would most likely leave some trace of DNA. Mm-hmm. And even if there wasn't sexual assault, I'd still think the possibility of finding some of the killer's DNA on her could be pretty good. Right. Because you know? back then, they didn't know how careful they needed to be. Yeah, exactly. I know that the amount of decomposition involved and her exposure to the elements could hinder that, but I'm just, I'm just really optimistic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the types of tests they could run in 1990 versus what they can do oh now. Oh, my gosh. It's insane. Right. And it just seems like this case is totally solvable. Yeah. I just hope that they can identify the killer and that the killer is still alive. Yes. So that they'll have to, like, answer for it. Yes. I hope whoever killed her heard they were exhuming her body and, like, mm-hmm. hasn't been able to sleep since. Freaking out. 
The Bodhi Technology website also says that sometimes they can get results of DNA analysis in five business days. Oh my gosh. And in some cases, certain tests provide a one-day turnaround, but I have no idea what sort of tests they're running on the evidence collected from Lisa's remains or how long it might take. Yes. hope they find something. Some sort of something. So since this happened in 1990 and there haven't been a whole lot of development since then until a couple of weeks ago when they mm-hmm. exhumed her body, there isn't a whole lot more information out there on this case. Right. I was really hoping to find more information on Lisa, just like to get an idea of who she was, because yeah. that's always what I like to know about people. Um, I dug around as much as I could. All I found was that she was described as popular and vivacious. Mm-hmm. I mean, I went to Reddit, Facebook. I did all these searches. Right. I'm like, is anybody talking about her? And, yeah. and I couldn't find anything. Mm-hmm. So if by some crazy chance... Someone who actually knew Lisa hears this episode and wants to tell us about her, like who she was as yeah. a person. I'd love to hear it. Oh, and I would yeah, be happy sure. to tell, you know, I just like for us to all know. To honor that victim. They're not just subjects of a podcast. Right. You know? So while I was digging, I did read some old posts mm-hmm. on um, Web Sleuths about this case. And just a few things on Web Sleuths that I didn't see mentioned in any of the news articles I read. But again, we got to kind of take it with a grain of salt because it's coming from Web Sleuths. Exactly. I don't know who these people are either. So someone with the username mm-hmm. Appearn, sure. mm-hmm. said that they assumed that whoever killed Lisa didn't know the area really well because he chose an easy spot to dump her. Mm. Within, here's the quote, within five miles of that spot is probably a hundred better areas to conceal a body that would have been trampled on when the season began. Like like, listen, I can think of a hundred better places than that one. Then someone with the username NJ Ever Curious argues that Old Mine Road is very remote and runs parallel to the Delaware River. Another thing I learned from these forums is that further down the road, past where Lisa's body was found, there's a bridge. So you'd think that that could be a good place to drop a body mm-hmm. because all they did was drop her out in the field yeah. where hunters are going to be. So it didn't seem like there was a whole lot of effort to conceal the body. Right. Um, And so it's possible that he, whoever the killer was, didn't know the area well enough to know that there was a bridge just a little further down the Mm -hmm. road. On the other hand, it's a toll bridge, which means the toll booths might have had people operating Mm -hmm. them or cameras or something. Mm -hmm. So maybe the killer realized that and they were like, I got to get rid of this body before I get there. Mm -hmm. And so they just, it was like a convenience thing. Oh, we'll stop it here, which is just also odd. Yeah. Because it implies not a lot of planning. Right. But the rest of this does imply planning. Yes. They cut the phone wire. Right. And they cut the screens mm-hmm. to get in. So I'm Move sure. the couch. Right. Left lamps on. So leaving the body out in the open like that in an area that was known to be frequented by hunters is weird. But like I said, maybe the killer was just in a hurry. Mm-hmm. NJ Ever Curious talked about this too, thinking that if the killer had to go across that bridge, he might have realized he can't cross it with the body in the car. Right. So... Back to my thoughts. So maybe whoever killed her was already in the house when she got home. I wondered about that. Oh. They'd already got in and were waiting for her. Behind the couch. Maybe. But my other thought was, if she got home and realized her phone wasn't working, Mm -hmm. like maybe the phone jack was behind the couch and she just pulled it out to look and see. You know? I have no idea. Or they were watching and waiting for her to get home and then broke in after she Mm -hmm. was in bed. Yeah. Um. And she heard something and sat up and turned her lamp on on her dresser or whatever. Right. It seems like something had to have happened in that bed for her for the sheets to be taken. That yeah. doesn't make any sense. But how would she get up, turn the kitchen light on or whatever light on, and move the couch and stuff? 
Right. I don't if know. it immediately And the happened. thing is, some things like that, like maybe the couch got moved earlier in the day before right, she even went true. out. Like, who yeah. knows? And maybe she left the kitchen light on when she was leaving. If right. It was going to be dark when she got home. We know she got home at 2 o'clock in the morning. I went a little nuts and Googled the time of the sunrise in June of 1990 in New <laughs> Jersey because I was curious. Yeah. It would have been around 5.30 in the morning. Okay. And I'd assume the killer would want to get out of her house while it's still dark. So that's like a three to four hour window. Right. And then the last thing I thought was weird is that her neighbors saw her come home around 2 a.m. and paid enough attention to see that she got out of her car and entered her yeah, home alone. but didn't see anything else. Happening. Saw nothing after that. Like, and her car was still there the next day. Right. So how did the killer get there? And Grab how did they leave? the house. Yeah. Like, where was their car? Yeah. So police feel pretty confident that only one person committed this crime. So you think one person got a grown woman out of the house without causing, like, a big ruckus. Right. Especially when you have nosy neighbors like that. And it seems like she would have had to have been incapacitated before she was taken from her house, which could just mean unconscious or drugged, Mm -hmm. not dead. Right. But still. And so you're talking about, no pun intended, but dead weight, right? Like, she's she's not helping in any way. So one person is going to carry her out In blankets and sheets, because they got rid of those, too, unless they put her in the car and came back for those. But it's so weird. And I just think if a car had pulled up, a neighbor could have seen or heard that. Right. So what? I I know. When it hit me that I was like, oh, her car was still there. Yeah. And there wasn't another car there or her neighbors would have seen it. Right. Now, I don't know if it was an hour, hour and a half later, maybe the neighbors would have been fast asleep by that Mm -hmm. point and not heard. But it's a they were up at 2 a.m. Like what? Who knows the kind of neighborhood it was? Maybe Mm -hmm. it was super obvious when there was like. Yeah, it was a gravel road, and yeah. <laughs> her headlights shine right. Yes, yeah. who knows? Anyway, there's lots of things to speculate about, but hopefully, we'll actually get some answers soon. Yeah. So I'll keep looking, keep on it, yeah, to see if anything comes up with oh, it for sure. So anyone with information about McBride's disappearance is asked to call Lieutenant Nicholas Elmo with the Sussex County Prosecutor's Office at nine seven three three eight three one five seven zero. Wow! After all that time. Yeah, it makes me really happy that they went, that they took, they're like, you know what? We're not going to court right now because of COVID. So let's do something. I really love that they took this opportunity to look Mm -hmm. at their cold cases and that they thought, yeah, like, let's exhume this. Because I feel like that's such an extreme step to take. And Mm -hmm. I I think a lot of people are like, we're not going to exhume unless it's absolutely necessary. Yeah, Um, And it just seems like all they were doing was looking for more evidence. It's not even like... There was something that said we should exhume the body because mm-hmm. of this other mm-hmm. evidence. At least not that we know. Yeah. Okay. That's it. Oh, my gosh, guys. Yep. Keep in touch. Yeah. I'll I keep checking yeah. um, to see if we've got any updates yet. But so far, so far, nothing. Um, if you guys would like to send us any stories, mm-hmm. you can find the contact info. Yep. In, the all show in our notes. show notes. And also, listen, we... Keep a list, a running tab of all the things you send us. We are trying to stay on top of mm-hmm. <laughs> following up. Yeah. We got a lot going on. <laughs> we'll eventually get to you, but we really love hearing from you all. So please yeah. don't stop. And it's so much fun. If you want to go talk about the episodes, you can do that yes. in our Facebook group. Yeah. And we talk about other things too, but I try Literally to get discussion everything. posts. Yeah. I love the Facebook group. Yeah. As you all know, the link to that is also in the show notes. Oh, I need to do our Monday post. What'd you do over the weekend? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I try to remember that every Monday, but I forget a lot. All right. We love you so much. Goodbye. Goodbye.